Welcome to the Amputee Show. I'm your host, Harris Altamingo, and joining me are fellow Amputee Blade Runners, Caitlin Connor and Jeff Turner. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but let's just say that I'm excited to have both of them here on the show today uh, to talk about anything and everything about running and running blades. So welcome to the show, guys, and thank you again for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Caitlin, maybe we'll start with you. Can you perhaps introduce us, give us a little story or snippet about yourself? Sure. I'll keep it as brief as I can. Um, so this coming year actually will be my seventh anniversary. Uh, I am a trauma survivor from a motorcycle accident. And the kicker for my story is that I found out I was four weeks pregnant at the exact same time I had to amputate. And apparently that's really rare because I couldn't find anyone who had to go through amputation and pregnancy at the exact same time. Um, but it became a catalyst for me and it started actually a sports career and started me going down the path of amputee blade running as well as many, 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 many other sports. Awesome. And Jeff, sir? Yeah, I, I'm well, let me see. It's been a while. So I, uh, I lost my legs 31 years ago. It was a motorcycle accident. Um, I always consider myself, yeah, yeah, to join the club. I always consider myself pretty lucky, actually, because uh, there were sort of three cars on the road. There was the, the car that hit me, a uh, French car, of course. There was a the car that hit me. And uh, that's, if you're English, you get that. And then uh, the, the car behind uh, was an emergency room physician on the way home. And then the car behind that was a taxi. And of course, this was before cell phones. So I was just really lucky. So physician stopped me bleeding out. Taxi called for an ambulance. So I'm still here. Uh, it was traumatic, so the leg was taken off, so I didn't have to make any tricky decisions. They brought it out in a bucket of ice and said, we can't really put it back on. Uh, I was below the knee. Uh, uh, and by the way, always be careful, of course, to say below the knee, not, you know, you can end up saying below knee if you're not careful. So, uh, so I was below the knee, and then they said, well, we can't really keep you below the knee. Uh, so it's going to be above knee, but I was at a teaching hospital. So they did a knee disarticulation, which is a much better way to go if you're going to be an AK. So they basically just threw away the bits of broken bone, cleaned things up, let me uh, marinate in the hospital for a week, stitched it up and then sent me home. And uh, and then you just do what you do, right? You sort of try to get back to your life. And then, uh, then I was told I wouldn't be able to run. So of course, the first thing I tried to do was run and then promptly broke an arm that had just been operated on and broke my ankle on the other side and ended up in a booty and I was trying to show off in the hospital. Um, anyway, long story short, uh, I so, finally uh, got to the point where I could run. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but yes, I, was, yes. I was actually going to get started with that. I said, you know, I was going to ask, <laughs> when was that moment that you wanted to, to get into running? And Jeff, you already started telling that story. So perhaps continue <laughs> with that story. Of when did you say, you know what, I'm going to start running? You well, kind of started told- off with that, so. <laughs> Well, they told me I couldn't. So, I mean, and here's the thing, of course, like like many amputees uh, who ask about uh, running, and they'll they'll often be asked. It's like, well, you know, they'll say, well, well you know, what, what do I do to run? Can I run? And people say, well, did you run before you lost your leg? And they'll be like, no. And they're like, well, if you didn't run before you lost your leg, why do you expect to run now? And I get that. I mean, that's sort of a sensible attitude, I guess. But uh, for me, it was like, I really was just like, can I run and catch the bus? I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, it's like, just can I run? I, I, I didn't expect to be running marathons or anything like that. But And they really did try to dissuade me from even sort of considering it. So I was like, oh, whatever. So I pushed pretty hard because the first leg I got, this was in Australia, was a pretty ordinary thing. I, I used to call it a, a foot on a stick. And it was back in the day when the Seattle foot was the big thing, which was just a, a 
a rubber foot with a keel. I had a little bit of carbon fiber in it and they had a nylon pylon. There was a little split in it. So it stretched a little bit. And it's and basically, you know, your traditional fiberglass socket with a peel. I didn't say you just banged a leg in and walked. And that's what I had. And I was horrified. So uh, I pushed really hard and complained to my member of parliament. And I ended up getting a better leg and that had a flex foot on it, which was new at the time. And, and that's when I was showing off in the hospital and, and did a number of myself, but you know, that's, you know, and I tell people, if you're going to run, you know, you're going to fall. So uh, one thing that, that doesn't happen in rehab enough, and that, that and I, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, nobody tells amputees how to fall over. <laughs> and there's actually a couple of really simple things about falling that work. I wish somebody had told me at the time, just sort of go with it, roll into my shoulder. But no, I tried to save myself, flung my arm out of its collar and cuff, went between the wall and the handrail completely decimated the left arm that had just been plated and pinned and then merrily whacked my ankle on my sound side with the prosthesis and broke that. So that was a humbling experience. Uh, but, you know, yeah, whatever, it's me. So it was humble for about a week. Um, so anyway, sorry, that, that's probably where it kind of started. It flattened out for a long time. I mean, I got busy with life, just surviving job. I moved to the United States by the end of the year. Um, and so I was pretty busy. But later on, I kind of, it never left my mind as something I wanted. So uh, later on, I sort of picked it up again. Fall, falling <laughs> is a skill. So I, I you know, and, and ice skating, I'll use ice skating as an example. I, I do figure skate as an amputee as well. Okay, I, I use that lightly. I did. Uh, I haven't been lately. And we'll get to that in a bit. Um, but the first thing you learn in figure skating is how to fall and not literally slice a finger off of the blade of the ice skate. So Falling is a skill. It's the same thing with cycling, um, with whatever you're doing. If you learn how to fall and reduce the injury, then you're less likely to get up and keep going. So that honestly, I wish people would kind of share that more often. And, and every time I've ever fallen, I think to myself, okay, well, that fall is done. Now I don't have to think about that fall anymore. Um, and just keep going forward because everybody falls. Yeah, no, I always talk about falling gracefully because same as Jeff, I was never taught to fall pro gracefully, right? And and my face have met the pavement running as well. So, but yeah, but we'll go back to that. But Caitlin, how did you just suddenly go, you know, I'm going to start running? So it was wasn't that like that at all. <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. Um, so some parts of what Jeff has said is true for me, others not so much. I wasn't thinking about running at all. Um, I actually didn't do sports before losing my leg and it was the last thing on my mind because I was pregnant. So for me, the first thing on my mind was getting through a healthy pregnancy. And because I was only four weeks through gestation, that meant the next nine months, um, well, eight months, but, um, I didn't really start thinking about running until probably into my test fitting stage for a normal walking prosthetic. Um, I was seeing Baker OMP out of Fort Worth and my buddy Scott, who's up there looked at me and said, Hey, have you ever heard of the challenge athletes foundation? And I was like, no, what's that? Why do I care? Um, he said, well, cause you can get a running blade uh, with a grant and we can get you a running blade. And I'm like, sure. Cool. I don't, I mean, I I'm sure I'll have to run and chase my kid and maybe save her from running out in front of a car. That was, that was the extent of the running I was thinking about. Like Jeff said, not marathons, not trap for me, triathlons or anything like that. And then it, then it switched on a dime. Then it wasn't just, Oh, you know, can I run to catch something? Can I run away from somebody if I'm in danger was another thought that happened, happened quite a bit. 
Um, but once it became the ability to run, after having to learn how to walk four times, I started understanding the importance of practice and doing things over and over and over again and how that leads to progress. And then I started asking myself, okay, well, if I can do that, what, what can I do now? Like, what's the next thing I can do? What are all these doors that I closed for myself that I assumed I could never do? And then just started breaking them open and trying them and at least saying I could try them, not being the best at any one of them, but at least exploring them and enjoying the ability to do so, even missing a leg. I did all of this after missing my leg, not before. I was probably perfectly capable of running beforehand, but I never, never did so because I saw all the other kids in school and whatnot and say kids in school, right? I didn't lose my leg until I was 24. So I'm talking like middle school, like 12, which is a very volatile age, right? Where I just assumed that everyone that came and did sports was a natural, which I'm sorry, doesn't exist. Those kids either went home and practiced on their own or had parents that worked with them. Um, having a prodigy is not something that happens very often. So I discounted myself and lost a lot of opportunity because of it. Oh, I agree. Similar to your guys' story. I was sort of an athlete uh, in high school, but never took it, you know, at any sort of team level or any further than, you know, the neighborhood hockey pickup games or, you know, running here and there kind of thing. And then when I became an IPT, I said, oh, I'm just going to run just because I think I can now. And then after running my first 5K, I, I don't know, similar to you guys, it's some weird bug that you get at the end of the finish line I think, and say, I think I can do this some more. And then now it's like my reasoning for running, and I get asked all the time, is why do you run? It's not so much because I, you know, I'm an IPG now. It's because I think I can eat more now. You know, I don't have to worry about losing weight or anything like that or, oh, I ate too many burgers today it's okay. I'm going to run later. I don't know. My thing was when I did my first, I signed up for my first 5k because my prosthetic company asked me to join their team. And I did it running with my daughter in the stroller, which was a big thing for me to be able to do that. And she was, you know, she's still a newborn. She's maybe only a couple months old. And I had gone from 111 pounds to 172 pounds when I delivered back to like 100. 35 or something like this, a massive weight change, right? In a very short amount of time. Um, And it was almost impossible to keep a prosthetic on um, because of the weight change. And it was so difficult. And when I started doing that 5k, I only, I set a goal. And that was the first time I set a goal, honestly, was to finish a 5k in under an hour. And there wasn't really any consequence if I didn't finish that goal, right? But it was something for me to work towards. And my first 5K, I finished at 58.01. And that was something for me that was a big catalyst and a trigger going, okay, if I can do that and I meet a goal, well, what, what can I do to make this faster? I came back a year later and I did the exact same 5K, um, not pushing my daughter in a stroller this time, but I did that in 31 minutes, I think. So a massive difference a year later. And that was just, you know, working towards a goal. But Jeff, what I'm about not let's, that let's, fast let's, right now? Don't no. worry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, what about let's talk running? So, what's your time? Are you so Jeff runs marathons, right? Well, yeah. I mean, look, I haven't done that for a while, and I'm just getting back into it. Um, I I went through a period there when I was uh, 
putting in, you know, pretty decent miles. I mean, I, I focused a lot on technique and uh, I ran with able-bodied runners mostly. Um, so I'd run with uh, local running clubs. So I would, I would compare myself to other able-bodied runners uh, around my age. Um, and that would, that would sort of be my benchmark. Uh, I think my, my first 5K was like 28 minutes, I think, uh, when I first did an event. Um, and then it sort of went down from there. Um, my, my, uh, my half marathon times were never what I wanted to be. I think, I think my first half marathon was the, uh, the Silver Strand half, which was an OSA event, which is sort of touted as the, the uh, National Leg Amputee Championship. So I'm like, woo, awesome. But of course, there was basically, there was like a medal for everyone because there was a, there was an above knee and a below knee, a male and a female. I think there was four of us. So, uh, so we, so everybody, everybody wins. Um, it kind I, I don't of stings, my... doesn't it? Just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> it's a, but, um, um, but I, I think, you know, but it, it was okay. I mean, I finished middling. I mean, I, I probably took me a couple of hours to do that one. Uh, and then I think I got it down to, I did the Kaiser event a few times in San Francisco. I think I got down to like one, 140 or 148 or something like that. I can't remember. And so my times were doing okay. I mean, I felt like I got to a groove, you know, I was, I was sort of middling pack running with, with guys my age. And, and that was the fun part for me. It's like, I, I remember being interviewed by the uh, RRCA, I think a club, a Roadrunners Club of America or something. They, they had an event and I was brought in to be interviewed and they, well, you know, they asked me how I saw myself and I said, well, you know, to be honest, these days, I'm, I, you know, I don't really see myself as an amputee runner. I see myself as a runner who happens to be an amputee. And that was kind of where I felt like I was at. Um, I never thought I was going to like win any gold medals at the Olympics. So I mean, that was never my goal. My goal was just to be, you know, a community club runner and someone who could hold a decent pace. My, my goal was to beat my dad's half marathon time. And so when my dad was about my age now, uh, he ran his first half marathon in 125, just like out of nowhere. And it's like, he had no idea how fast he was going. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, dad. <laughs> That's fast. <laughs> you know, it's like, I know like semi-professional athletes <laughs> who are coming in under one, you know, uh, behind you. <laughs> That's, That's, that's pretty impressive. And his big thing was, uh, you know, he had the he had the photograph and he was holding it up and we were so, at the time still working on video conferencing calls back then. He was holding it up and it was like it was a picture of him at the finish line. He's like, "Look at that bloody fella behind me! Look at that bloody fella behind me! He's twenty years younger than me. I was twenty years younger than me." And he's so excited about it. But uh, and so you know, it was kind of nice. You know, I mean, my dad lived in another country and we never got to run together. We did once, um, but. Um, it was kind of nice to have that as well. That was sort of, that sort of, I think, fed into it as well. So it becomes organic, you know, you sort of, you, you maybe you do it because somebody says you can't, then you find that you actually are good at it on some level and you start talking to other people about it. Maybe you picked up a few things and then, and then you start making friends and all of a sudden you're part of a community. Uh, at the end of the day, we can't ever forget though, that we have this additional hurdle, right? Which is the friggin' equipment, <laughs> right? The, yeah. the, the expense and getting it and everything else. And not always yeah. just the equipment. For me, it's actually sometimes biological. Right now, I have a bone spur, and that's part of the reason I'm not running. Yes. It, it's a difference between listening to your body, listening to the equipment, and listening to your brain. I am not a long-distance runner. I prefer short distance. Uh, and for me, that's because long distance is more of a mental struggle. I give up on myself, and 
I had no intention of ever going over the 18 miles in one day that I've done. So <laughs> that for me is a lot. And people have asked me, oh, do you ever plan on doing an Ironman? No, I'm good. It's not my, it's not my jam. So uh, if it's yours, fine, cool. Uh, I know plenty of people that do it. They do 100 milers. Um, you know, I don't mind doing longer distance cycling, but don't, don't expect me to do it very quickly. Um, but when it comes to running specifically, I like sprinting. I like to get it out and get it over with really fast. <laughs> like my, like the running study I've done with, um, one of the universities in Colorado, I hit 13.42 miles per hour with the 10 second, um, stretch, which isn't very long, but it's long to go that fast when you have something on you that is not natural to wear and you literally can't feel where it's touching. <laughs> so I was proud to hit that speed, but I don't want to hit that speed for much longer than 10 seconds, if that makes sense. So like, I'm good putting it out for them and be like, all right, cool, I'm done. But it's, for me, uh, I enjoy the short. I enjoy, I enjoy the community that comes with it. It wasn't something I had before. I didn't know, I, I didn't pay attention to disability like this before I lost my leg. And, and I say that because I have respect for congenital amputees that have to go through it from birth. My um, brother has cerebral palsy. My other brother died of epilepsy. So I've had disability around me, but I didn't pay attention to it until it affected me personally, as in my actual body. Not that my brothers didn't affect me, right? But until I had to think about, okay, I need to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And I can't get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. <laughs> so until it affected everyday movements, it wasn't as big of a thought process for me. Not that it wasn't important, but um, I certainly don't know how I transitioned to sports. I don't know how I got to sports. I'm glad I found sports, but I don't know how I got there. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but it was the same thing for me. Like, again, like I said, when I started, it was just to do something for myself. And I thought I was going to only do that one, you know, and then all of a sudden, to your point earlier, Caitlin, the doors just kind of opened after that. But my running is still always just going to be something I do because of the community too. I love the community. I love that at the end of the race, you kind of meet the same people that you've done other races with and and you share that banana at the end of a race right or that you know but there's for some reason there's always a banana so you yeah. know the bagel or something right so but i got it's, a banana story for you. oh go oh, for it oh. <laughs> what's your banana story so so i was running the chicago marathon and uh uh you know i was pretty happy with doing an okay pace and and um uh, but it was getting on, it was getting on in the event, right? So I was starting to get a little bit tired and I was really trying not to stop at the tables because uh, at, at that point, once you get to like around like 18 miles, you just don't want to stop because if you stop, you may not start again, right? <laughs> so um, so I was coming in and what would happen is I noticed it's like, and, and of course, because I was like, you know, I'm going to go in like the eight minute mile bunch, maybe and eight, eight and a half. You're like in an event like Chicago where there's like 40,000 people. It's basically a small town is suddenly put on the streets of Chicago. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're 20,000 people back, right? So there's been 20,000 sweaty, tired people run through ahead of you. And they've all dropped everything they picked up. Clothing, 
And why are there always semi-naked Englishmen running in these events? I never understand it. It's always an Englishman running with a Union Jack draped around him. It's embarrassing. So anyway, so you've got people dropping like little packets and goos and there's surprisingly slippery energy drinks. And it's all over the road. At worst at these stations, right? So people are handing out water and uh, bananas, right? So it's 18 miles, right? So people are grabbing any straw. Someone holds something out. Maybe this is what gets me to the end, right? And they grab it and they're trying to run still and they got their hands are full, they're double fisted running, right? And they don't know what to do with it. So they eventually give up and just drop it, right? Or they they try and they half-heartedly get the banana out of the peel, the peel. So it was littered with smush bananas, like the entire area around the tables. It was just like a minefield. So I come through and I'm like, I'm not stopping, I'm not stopping, I'm not stopping. And I kicked and I went to dash through and uh, all of a sudden, it's like all these people just left the table once in a wave at like one mile an hour, just limping out. And I tried to stop. And it was like, it's like I'd hit the turbo because I suddenly put my blade on a banana and I went flying straight into this huge guy. And I just had to throw my arms out. I just wrapped my arms around him. We both went shuddering forward about 20 feet. We didn't fall over. I don't know how. I just said, I'm really so sorry, man. I, uh, I got one leg. I'm sorry. He didn't know what I was talking about. He looked down, saw I had one leg. We just laughed. And then I ran on. But, I, you know, I always think about that. Whenever people talk about bananas at events, I'm like, why? Why are you handing out bananas at mile 18? We know where they're going. It's like, what are you thinking? Anyway, so sorry. So wait, just, just imagine what the guy that you ran into, imagine what his side of the story sounds like. <laughs> One like an asshole just ran straight into me. He blamed his <laughs> like, banana. I'm serious, man. I was like, it was like, it was like Tom and Jerry. It was just like, just, just flying along. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Now let's talk. Let's talk equipment. Uh, you, you're, you're both, Caitlin. You're a below knee amputee, and Jeff, you're an above knee amputee. Baloney sandwich. How did? Below, yeah. Right. Uh, how did you? That, he was. He said, "Be careful with how you say that." I said, "I, I did say below the knee, and I." Uh, you did. I didn't. I, I know. Fine. Okay. I, I'll represent my sandwich. <laughs> there we go. What What was? Did you have choices, or what sort of things did you look for when you started looking at running blades? Um, I didn't really do very much research, so to speak, um, because I went through the calf grant. They work with Oser, so it started out with Flex Run. And honestly, that was great for my first bl running blade. Um, it, it was a great beginning blade. Uh, eventually, I graduated to the Cheetah Extreme. And for sprinting, I even use it for long distance, and I'm, I'm good with it. Uh, my Flex Run, I actually donated to a girl in Australia um, because it was sitting in my closet. I wasn't using it, so that kind of does it a disservice. Um, but no, I'm... I didn't really shop brands. I didn't really try feet. It was what my prosthetists offer, what the what the nonprofit offered. And honestly, Oster is a good solid brand to start with too. Not saying other brands aren't solid brands. That's just what I started with. Um, so I do encourage people to test out brands and figure out what works for them because just like anything else, it all depends on the person and the body. Jeff? So I, uh, I dug in deep. So <laughs> I was like a tick. Uh, they hated me. So I uh, knew everyone who picked up a phone at Osa and Otterbach and uh, what was uh, what was formerly uh, K-Tech uh, and uh, which was bought um, by um, 
uh, Blatchford, right? And then uh, uh, Blatchford was, was uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Enderlight. Now they're Blatchford, all of those companies. Yep. Uh, and a couple of others that are now no longer with us, right? I tested their stuff too. Um, and uh, I told them what I needed and I told them they didn't make it. And at one point I actually made my own knee. So I, I got a knee and I took it to an engineering shop and I got the stupid, they put brass bushings in there, I pushed those out, put needle bearings in, I chopped the bottom off. We, we put titanium pins in because I snapped the pins in half. I got into fights on the phone with USMC was a disaster. That was one, one US company that was just, terrible and they made so many knees and they were just i get into arguments with the engineers they'd they'd tell me that you know i broke the pins and i'm like well the pins snapped and they're like well they're 10 millimeter pins they can't snap i'm like well it's not a 10 millimeter pin because you drill a hole in it and now it's a two millimeter pin because you drilled a hole in the middle and you put a set screw in it's like well and i mean don't, don't put drill a hole in just put a divot in it if you put a divot then you don't reduce the, the internal oh diameter of the can pin. we can we like oh. take this part of jeff and like turn him into a gif real fast <laughs> It's great. Let's keep this part of Jeff right now. Okay. Don't do it. Proceed. Don't do it to me. Don't do it to me. Uh, but you get the, you get the idea, right? And so now some of them responded pretty well. Like Osa actually responded pretty well. So they um they ended up years later they ended up doing pretty much everything that I complained about. Um, and they ended up putting me in a rotation. They would send me a knee weekly, and I would just put it on. I'd go down to my gym and blow it up, and then put it in a box and send it back that afternoon. It's like. The seals broke, blah, 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 got up to the speed, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, and the same with the feet. I mean, I would snap those things all the time. Um, and they go off, they're really loud when they break. Like when you break a running blade, like I've broken a couple of them just running around the streets and they just, it's like a Wait, shotgun. How many, how many running blades have you broken? Both of you? Yeah. Uh, four or five, I think. I've never broken one. Same, I, I haven't either, Jeff, maybe. <laughs> Well, but Jeff puts right, on so, way more miles than I do. So, well, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I used to tell a story. I was running in North Beach once in San Francisco and I was just running down the street and my running blade snapped. And it would often happen when I like would leap off the curb. So I could see a gap. I'd be running down the sidewalk and I'd see a gap. You'd be looking for gaps in the traffic and I'd spring off the curb and I'd hit the middle of the, the road. And it happened a couple of times and the, the, the blade just went snap. And when they go snap, it's really loud. Um, and uh, uh, I actually heard a couple of French tourists scream out "merd," which is shit in French. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Taking that out. We speak, we, we speak French here. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, you yes, already said yes, it. Yes, I know. I keep forgetting you're Canada. Um, but anyway, uh, I just, it was, I guess it was funny at the time, you know, as I was picking myself up. But uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I did interactions with manufacturers, uh, but at the end of the day, I think I, I worked with mostly with Osa. I also worked a little bit with Autobock and uh, I did some work on the Cheetah Me. Um, and uh, uh, I complained a lot about the running blades. They used to have a very short foot, like the, the, the old Flex Run used to be like a C shape. And I would tell them that there's no mechanical advantage. You just, <laughs> you just fall off the end of it. It's like we need a, we need a, we need a proper toe, more like a sprinting just, foot, like you said, Kate. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you run distance on your sprinting blade. Why wouldn't you, right? It gives you better mechanical advantage. So it's uh, not like we're in ballet and we have to run tiptoe, tiptoe. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And, I, I think, I, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not that graceful either. So I would eat, eat pavement there. I changed my word. Did you hear that? That was yeah. a thought process. That was I would good. eat pavement if I had to do anything faster than that. Right. Right. And that was. So thank uh, you, yeah. Jeff, for changing that. 
Oh, I, you know, I don't think they actually they listened to me on that one. I complained bitterly about it. And then I got invited to go out and, and do some work with Osa with, uh, with Brian Frazier and some folks out there. Oh, I love Brian. Yeah. He, Brian's awesome. And he, he showed me this foot and I'm like, he's like, and he's like, oh, this is the new blade. I'm like, what? I've been asking for that for 10 years. And he, he, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, because he only used to sprint. He never did any distance. And he's like, I was getting a little older. I wasn't sprinting anymore. So I started running some distance. And that, that running for was terrible. It's like, it was like a sea. <laughs> like, yeah, no kidding. So, you know what? I, think- I picture in my head, I picture like little anime running where you're going. <laughs> I think anime running. Yes. I think yes, there are still think- those seas. This, the sea look is still around, I think. On some, on, on some blades, yes, yes. And some, look, yeah. I think if, you, if you're using a, and this is an, an interesting discussion to have as well. If you're above the amputee, you don't necessarily want to use a knee. It depends. Like for a lot of us, we use knees. I've always used a, a knee, uh, but it's expensive and it's burdensome because they're, most of them aren't made for it. They're getting better. Like the Autobot uh, 3S80, which I've got in the other room is, very robust knee, but it's single axis. I prefer polycentric and that's that's the cheetah running knee. So and they've gotten better, but you used to just, it was just a knee. It was just whatever prosthetic knee is like a K3 knee. The same thing that people walk to the grocery store on, you would run on it and break but it. Pause. I have a question as a BK talking to an AK because BK running and AK running is very different, right? Right. Um, so at what point is it better to run without a knee than with a knee for an AK? I'm gonna tell you that this is entirely personal choice. Technically, um, the thing that cooks your quads as a biped when you're running is uh, is stabilizing the knee joint. That's what makes it hard for us to keep running as bipeds. So if you're you're a bilateral uh, knee dysartic or a transfemoral amputee who wants to run a long time and a long way, I could see the advantages in not using, you know, prosthetic knees. I mean, you, you don't have to stabilize the knee joint. You're basically running like a bird, right? You know, now you're running like a ostrich or an emu. You're circumducting is the difference. And, the, and then you're getting the energy return. It's just potential energy that's being released by the blades. Well, well I let's think change, also, let's, sorry, I was going to say, let's say. change this to a single AK so we can be more specific because doubles have a different advantage by having the same height. Um, like for me, I would think a single AK, um, if they are going to lock out and not use the knee for the bending motion, then they need to get the height perfectly right. Or they're going to mess up their spine and their adjustment that way. Absolutely. But that's the same, that's the same with or without, you want to get the, the height, the build height of the prosthesis correct either way. But I, but these are really good points. I mean, um, I look, I don't have any clear answers for you. I recommend that people try both. I think it's probably, uh, uh, I mean, you know, you look at guys like Richard Whitehead. I mean, he's just an amazing runner. He's a bilateral AK and, and he's, you know, the fastest, fastest guy on no legs ever. Was it 200 meters? I think. Um, mm. And, uh, and an amazing marathon runner, but, uh, but he doesn't use knees for me. I'm going to be honest with you. A big part of it was I wanted to advance the industry. And so I, I wanted the knees to work. And not only that, I mean, I'm wearing an X3 right now, which is a sort of a military spec Autobot product. I wear it because I just put this on and I can walk with it. I can run with it. I can do whatever I like with it. Now, do I want to run a marathon with this or even a 5k? Probably not. But I mean, when I take my kid to school, I walk him and he likes to run. Well, I can run with him with this leg. I don't have to think about it. I just run like a normal person. Right. So that's, 
there's that development that I think is important. The other thing is I'd like, I'd like microprocessor controlled knees to become really viable for long distance running. And why is that? Because when I run with, with a mechanical knee, it's, it's, it's just a matter of time before I catch my toe and eat pavement. Um, it's just a matter, it's just not, it's just a numbers game, right? So, uh, so I think it's really important that we have the most stable advanced knee joints possible so that we can do that with some degree of safety. I mean, I, I you know, I, that, that's my thought. So that was, that was a big part of why I decided to run with a knee. As a double amputee, I have to always think of clearance uh, and I have to use the energy return, take full advantage of the energy return on my blades to propel me forward. So it's different for me than it is probably for, for Caitlin, I'm sure, as a single um, leg amputee. What's your experience on running on a, on a blade? So, I mean, I like if I'm going to have to equate to an, an AK doing it, I would have to equate to like if I were to have a joint in the middle of my shin, right? That's how I kind of think of it as the movement you have to create, right? Um, I don't have that. I just basically think mentally that the end of my limb is my foot. Um, because if I try to try to complicate it any more than that, then um, it becomes a trick trying to, trying to find the right surface, the right, you know, if you hit a rock or something, I've run at night on gravel roads. It's, it, you have to trust something that's not there. And this is for, you know, lower limb amputees in general, right? You have to trust something that you literally have no control of. You can't tell if what you're feeling is what you're actually feeling. Um, so it's tricky when you're running. And, and for me, I just, I just start powering with my knee and for my quad. Whereas before you would have some play with your ankle, with your, with the ball of your toe, maybe I was always a, and I think this is important for people to understand that maybe ran before they lost the limb. Um, what kind of runner you were before? Um, because before I was always a ball runner, I would run on the ball of my foot. So for me, that, small little detail of running um, translated actually very well as an amputee because when you're on a blade, you are kind of running on the ball of your foot the way they're designed. Now, if they change that, um, for instance, I have my, my two running blades and then I have my everyday, currently an Oser Explorer. I'm actually working on a, a, a new uh, prosthetic that is not an Oser brand, but it's more of like a hybrid between the running and walking, right? Where you've got a hybrid blade. And that for me is like learning how to heel toe all over again. So it's a different experience from that style of blade than an actual running blade. Um, whereas a running blade, again, goes back to that ball toe kind of running. You're almost tiptoe running. So for me, that worked out well because that's pretty much the style of running I had before I actually ran. Um, but if you're a, a uh, heel toe runner, you're going to have to adjust where you place your knee and, and, and think about trusting your toe more. I'm glad that you brought that up because, because I was a single runner or a single leg amputee running on a heel toe on one leg and a toe off on the amputated leg or on the running blade leg. So that was weird. And then when I became a double amputee, I started running heel toe on my everyday foot, you know, to catch the bus or whatever. And then when I'm on my blade, I'm running on a toe off because that is what it's like running on a blade. It's like you're running from the ball of your feet. You're pushing the energy from there, right? So I think I have a rhythm now where I know I'm wearing my blade and I'm not running on, on um, 
my everyday feet, but it's always so weird to go back going from a blade to my regular feet um, and run that way. Go ahead, Jeff. So uh, just a few things that I, that I sort of picked up over the years. And I, I, I worked with quite a few sort of coaches of various uh, teams, some with, you know, more or less experience. Um, there, there seemed to be some fairly consistent things that I noticed. And I, I worked a lot with uh, people who were, you know, they would, they'd be, you know, uh, what are you doing this weekend? I'm doing an Ironman. What are you doing next weekend? I'm doing an Ironman. What did you do last weekend? I did an Ironman. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they just, that's, it's what they did. They eat, sleep, drank, running. And some of them got very religious about what they felt were the most important things. And I, I would sort of take away the things that kept coming up. And one thing I noticed that was, that was key was step count. And so there are sort of basics about running. So doing hill repeats, uh, doing intervals, you know, things like that. Um, and these things really do work and they work for amputees as well as they do for regular runners. So I would encourage people, once you got past the basics, once you feel secure that you have a fairly effective gait and you, and you feel like you can run uh, securely, you don't have to worry about injuring yourself, then, you know, you can start looking at just basic materials on, on running. You really can, especially that's one of the advantages with, with being an AK runner who uses a knee. You're really biomechanically trying to do something fairly standard, right? Um, what I found was useful was to stop worrying about my foot because you can obsess about your foot, right? Because that's the, it's the leap of faith, right? Every, every, every step is a leap of faith. So um, I stopped worrying about my feet and I started running with my knees and my my and my core i mean that's what you're supposed to be doing anyway so you you know you run from your core the old the old the old adage was imagine you have you know an invisible line running through your navel attached to your to your spine that's pulling you forward through space and that's that's really the goal right so so that makes you you know engage your core and then the other little trick they used to do was i always used to imagine i was on a unicycle so uh and that would help me with my, with my step count so i <laughs> So I would imagine that I was, I was, uh, I, I would think about running for my core. I would think about running for my knees. I would try and forget about my feet. And then uh, once I got going, I would, I would imagine that I was sort of just on a unicycle and my feet would just be going round and round and round the axis like this. And before you knew it, you know, I was putting in solid, you know, uh, solid times and my, my pace was good. I wasn't, I wasn't tripping over. I wasn't catching my foot. I wasn't having, wasn't having running injuries, which is critical. So I stopped getting plantar fasciitis and all those other nagging things that you would get just because I started worrying about some of the basics, like step count, you know, it's 180 steps per minute. It, that number exists for a reason. Uh, it's a good number. It's a good, it's a good goal. If you can do better, do better. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you're, if, if you're a little bit off, don't worry about it. You're miles away. If you're 140 steps per minute, fix that because it's it's gonna it's gonna come back to haunt you. You know you 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 want your feet on the ground more, <laughs> right? Um, so I mean these are the things that that you sort of pick up over time. And I think uh, the good news is if you read periodicals on running, if you join a running club, a lot of that stuff is just same same. It's the, the that's the good news I think. For me, the same thing. I, I, I don't think about, um, I stopped thinking about my feet and I felt, I felt that my pace got faster as well. But it's so hard sometimes because I've attended the Ulster running clinics with Nike and the, the CAF running clinics. Bob Gailey. And you're, right. Oh, yeah. Bob knows me really well. Because <laughs> yeah. I fall out on my face in front of him too. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's like, oh, are my knees picking up high enough? Are, you know, so you think about that, you know, the lobster hands and, 
And yeah, he has like, love, lobster claws. Right, the lobster claws, right? <laughs> it's like my shoulders loosen up, right? And you're right. Every time we think about it, you slow down and or you trip, which has happened to me a few times. But as soon as you, you find your cadence, you find your rhythm and you just start running for, you know, your step count. You're right. Your pace does speed up. Okay, you were gonna hey, say you mind, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, oh, I apologize. No, that, that's all right. No, I mean, go for you, it. You, you, you mentioned the CF clinic. I just wanted to mention one little thing. I went yeah. to a whole bunch of those. I used to show up all the time to support them, and sometimes I'd, I'd be at events and I'd go, and you'd see the same guys every time. And they and I kept getting this piece of advice, and it was about my my heel, my heel rise, my heel rise was wrong, my heel rise was wrong, and I kept adjusting my prosthetic. This happened year after year at these clinics. I was gonna be like, what the talking about there's nothing wrong with my heel rides and then one day he said it and i said look dude you've been telling me this for freaking five years what are you talking about i keep adjusting the knee there's nothing wrong with my heel rides he said not that side the other side and i was like you've got to be kidding me you didn't need to mention it was my sound side that was messed up what do you think i even think about that side and that i think was a lesson for me it's like oh yeah i've got two legs can't forget about the other one got to be doing the right thing with that one too Right. No, Sorry, absolutely. Anyway. No, absolutely. Go ahead, Caitlin. So, I mean, for, for me, the, the difference of before and after a leg that I didn't realize is just the ability to go longer. Um, again, energy expenditure with a prosthetic, of course, right? And if I know that it's more for a BK and, of course, a double BK is spending a lot more energy than just the BK. But we are spending more energy wearing a prosthetic in general because there is no speaking to the brain for adjustments, right? And, and I think one of the, the big moments that I really caught on to that was actually a, a modeling shoot with Target where I was supposed to be running. And this it's because Jeff mentioned lobster claws because, oh my God, they were after my hands in a still shoot. And they would not get off my hand position. I'm like, I'm just trying not to run into snack bar. That's only five feet in front of me. And you want me to hit full sprint form with a leg that I can't control. <laughs> so anytime you see me doing anything running and modeling, just appreciate that I had to run into like a bouncer sized person <laughs> to not take out the entire snack roll because breaks don't come quick on prosthetics, <laughs> whether it's uphill, downhill or flat, right? So that was kind of like my big moment of, okay, things are different. Can't stop as fast. Got it. Can't get there as fast. Got it. <laughs> Not the same feeling. Spends more energy. Got it. But you, yeah, that was, that was kind of the big moment where I had to go, okay, you're wanting this picture of an able-bodied person, but you're not going to get that without the proper amount of speed to get to that. <laughs> this is sort of off topic, sort of not, but people who work with, people with disabilities that are able-bodied when it comes to anything um, Hollywood or photo shoots or anything like that, they don't know what they're asking. And so you as an athlete, you are there because you're hired as an athlete, right? You have to tell them. You have to say, I need more water breaks. I need to sit. I don't need to stand while I'm waiting for you to do my hair makeup kind of stuff. Like you have to speak up. And if you don't tell somebody that you need more, then how do you expect them to understand that? And for me, it was diet and nutrition because we really have to watch, you know, our, our water intake and outtake, um, salt, all that kinds of stuff. Any, anything nutrition is important to running. Um, and I can attest that I'm really bad at keeping my nutrition on point. 
And I can tell you it, it sends you down a really painful uh, spiral in racing. So if you want to be successful in racing, you really need to work on your nutrition. Um, and before you get to the race, <laughs> way before you get to the race. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Um, Jeff is a, is a long distance runner. What's your prep for, you know, getting ready for that long race? I used to do pretty conventional stuff. I, I would usually carb load sort of the night before. I think that's that's lost some favor. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I ate pretty simply back then. I mean, um, so uh, it would just be as much fresh food uh, as I could get around to preparing, basically just stay away from anything processed because I didn't want too much sodium. So I just stay away from the processed foods. And I think that's just good practice for any amputee because you want to stay away from processed foods. You want to stay away from cans and can openers. You want to stay away from packets with corn chips. <laughs> you want to, yes. And stay away from alcohol. <laughs> um, at least when you're training and you're you're doing events, uh, you know. Look, um, we're you know if you enjoy carbs, have some carbs. But you know, just uh, just make sure you get enough decent protein, and uh, and and hydrate and exercise. I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it has to be that complicated. Myself, um, I usually I used to take supplements um, when I was doing a lot of events. Like I, I do an, usually an event a month. So at that point, towards the end, I was doing either a triathlon or a, or a marathon or at least a half marathon or a, or a 10K or something each, each month. I do an event a month. And that was that just kind of fell into as part of my training program. And, and so, yeah, just keep it simple, keep it fresh and stay away from the processed foods and the, and the salts. And that was my thing. Yeah, I think that's my challenge is, is staying uh, the nutrition part, like keeping track of the nutrition part. I'm... I do eat a lot of processed food. Sorry, everybody. But yeah, this athlete does a lot of that. <laughs> but my friends always go, well, you have an excuse. You're an athlete. You, you, you work out enough. I don't. <laughs> you have to work harder when you're eating bad junk, right? Like, yeah, it, it's just, honestly, if you just pay attention to what goes into your body, then you'll be doing yourself more of a favor, not necessarily having this something really strict. If you just sit there and pay attention to the ingredients, to the amount of ingredients, to the times of day and how much you're, in, you know, inputting towards your, your fitness. If you just focus on that, instead of focusing so much on a specific diet or a specific protein powder, whatever it is, branding, if you just sit there and think about, okay, what's going in my body is, is this an ingredient I can announce? Can I read this label and tell you what this ingredient actually is? Can I go find it in the wild right now? If you can't, you probably shouldn't put it in your body. If it has to be processed somewhere chemically, don't put it in your body. It's not worth it. Uh, and I'm saying that as somebody who eats processed goods. I don't do it because it's something I focus on, but I definitely feel better when I, when I look at the ingredients that go into my body. And if it's a real ingredient, I feel so much better. Um, and that all translates to, to your fitness. Absolutely. I think, I mean, I do find that when I'm eating a lot of fats, not good fats, or, you know, to your point, uh, a lot of sodium or processed food, I do feel loggy, right? So then you get lazy about working out the next day because you're, you're feeling loggy. And then it's like, oh, I don't really want to go for a run because I feel bloated. So then it, it kind of destroys your day and your, your, your activity or your, your workout that you want to do that day. And so you have a skip day all of a sudden. And so if you continue doing that, you continue having skip days. And then eventually you just not go back to doing anything at all. So I think to your point, it is important to keep, you know, the, the nutrition up as well. I find uh, that eating the right times 
works for me. Like when do when what what time of day do I eat to sort of so it doesn't affect my workout or my running or whatever I'm doing for the day. Well, and as an amputee, your your diet is so important for your prosthetic fit. So if if you're you know differentiating your diet too much, then your prosthetic doesn't fit right. So whether it's too loose, too tight, whatever. Um, for me, I don't hydrate enough. So therefore my limb shrinks too much, which is not good because your bone just hits the bottom of carbon fiber. Um, so my goal is to always work on hydrating more. Um, I'm not very good at that, but uh, it's you just- should, uh, You should get yourself one of those adjustable sockets. Give me a call. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm working on a socket in general first. <laughs> So let's talk Sorry. sockets. No, but <laughs> let, let's talk sockets. So what do you, I think you do need a new socket there. Does it, does <laughs> it look gross? It looks you gross need on suspension camera. That's, too. that's yeah. not good. <laughs> oh, they can see the dirt, everybody. That's not good. <sighs> you need a new, a new suspension as well. Do you want to know how um, old this leg is? How old? I, almost, I almost don't want to say it. Uh, it's four years old. Ugh. Oh, that's the same as my socket. I would not trade my. So has sorry. your body changed in four years? Not uh, that limb. Not that limb. Not, just the rest of the, everything about that limb has changed in four years. It, like, I think it atrophied like, and it just, it's, it's the same size since I've not added any sock or taken off any sock flies. None. Well, and, and honestly, okay. So wait, this is a serious topic. So how long have you been an amputee? A double, uh, we'll say so double. A double amputee, two years. Two years. So by two years, you would have you would have stabilized. So that's normal yeah. by a, a minimum of two years. If you're taking care of your diet, you're not doing any major changes yeah. that your body body starts to stabilize and kind of get used to yeah. what's happening, right? Like, no, I got to say though. So my left is 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 perfect the way it is. My I'll right, I'm, right. I'm yeah, the right, I'm still fiddling because uh, okay, it's so just wait. not fitting anymore. Just, just for clarification, which leg is the newer amputation? The, the right. The right. Okay, so the left was right, four years ago. Right, still adjusting. Okay, so yeah. that, yeah. So, um, just you know, for anybody listening, it takes years for your body to go. Okay, this thing is gone now. Let's just kind of adjust around it. <laughs> Pretty much, but let's let's talk about sockets. Have you guys tried different sockets for your running and your everyday legs? Like, maybe perhaps explain that to people. Because sometimes people go, how many, because when I show my leg collection to people, they're like, how many sockets do you have? Or how many legs do you have? How many pairs of feet do you have? So mine go for it, Kevin. Is, mine's probably more simple than Jeff's. Um, I have basically settled on suction, suction, suction suspension. Um, I started out Penlock actually when I was pregnant and I liked it, but I was kind of manipulating the muscle too much while it was still healing. And that's not good for your leg. Um, and then I ended up breaking off a bone spur, the same bone spur causing me problems. Now, when I was pregnant, I fell and broke it off. Um, and that means I had to get a, a whole new socket set up and then ended up getting back into suction because I tried suction first and I didn't like it. Pinlock, it was great, but then broke it, didn't like it anymore. So I went back to suction. Um, and for me, the sports level, the activity level, I do suction is what I like. I have, just to quickly answer, I have one, I have my everyday leg, I have my running blade, I have my figure skating slash, slash high heel leg, and then I have my cycling leg. So I have four legs currently working on a fifth. And Jeff? 
Um, probably less complicated than you, actually. <laughs> but uh, it, it varied a bit over time. So I would, I, I used to have three legs on the go at any one time. Um, I've got two right now that I'm sort of that I work with. So I would, I would normally have a, you know, a, a biking leg, a running leg, and the leg that I knew I'd be able to put on a Monday morning, right? So the one that wouldn't be broken. <laughs> right, right. So that those are the three, and that's hard. That's a full time job to to keep three AK prosthetics up and running. And and yes, I mean it, that is a smaller number, but there's a lot more complexity and expense in above knee prosthetics than below knee prosthetics. I mean it's uh, the the knee that I have on the leg I'm wearing right now, you know, technically invoices for one hundred and twenty thousand dollars for the knee alone. Uh, now no one's getting paid that, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, but you know, you can see how those numbers start to push up, uh, and so it becomes expensive. I mean, at one point, I had a I had a moto knee set up uh, for my biking leg, and then uh, you know, I had my 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 running kit, and then I had my you know my microprocessor knee, you know, everyday leg. Um, right now, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make the one that's my everyday leg more of a sort of a jogging cross country kind of leg because uh, running on trails uh, with a running blade is a nightmare. Um, like I used to do escape from Alcatraz and every year, every year in escape from Alcatraz, I would come thundering down this particular stretch of eroded, broken ground with rocks and half house bricks lying around. And at some point, at some point I would step on something, the blade would go one way and I'd go the other. Um, and I just, you know, I'd come up all scratched every time, every photograph crossing the line, I'm covered in blood. Uh, right. So, and it would take me out every year and I'd explain, and I, I'd be my, I'd say, can you make it split toe? It's like, why can't we do something with a heel? And it's a, and it would just go on and on with them. And, I, and I, I really never got any traction. Now things have gotten a little bit more interesting. There are hybrid feet, which are cool. I'm using a challenger foot on this one, which is hybrid. And it's under the X3, which is nice because it's a microprocessor knee. And if I catch my toe, it doesn't fold. It, it'll stiffen. And so I, I can actually catch myself. I mean, I, I have a video of myself that I put up online and I was running it. I think I was going about 11 or 12 miles per hour on the treadmill and, and I tripped and caught myself um, <laughs> while I was running. And I was just like, I almost, I almost fell because I was so surprised I didn't fall. Um, Let's pavement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and I, I was just blown away. I'm like, this, this changes everything. You know, it's like to, to be tripping at that speed as an AK runner and not, and just and not taking a header on the console or getting because the number of times I got sped off treadmills at gyms, I would just, I, I mean, I've had more, you know, almost as many as I've had hot dinners. I mean, I just, it's so embarrassing too. You know, you, you fall, you try and hold on for dear life, your knees getting ground away, you finally give up, you let go, and it just, it's, that's <laughs> and you're flying off the back. And uh, I remember sliding to the feet of these guys who were lifting weights one day and they must have polished the floor or something because I just kept going. <laughs> and there I am, I'm like between these two guys. I like five me fells. And then they're just like, what the hell was that? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it's a full-time job though. I do, I do want to point that out. Very important. Your insurance company may say no. Why do they say no? That's how they keep the money. They don't keep the money by saying yes. It's very important not to accept the first no or the second no or the third no. Ever. Ever. Well, Ever. And you said you've moved more towards a hybrid for running, right? Like just at least shorter distances, right? Just not not longer. 
Right, just for tooling around and just just daily getting around. My problem with the hybrid is the challenge is a nice little foot, but it's a little foot. I mean, that's my problem. I'm only going to get so much push out of it. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a six inch blade. No, and it's got the big kick out of the back and I know what they tried to do, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's nice that I, I mean, it's better than a standard foot, but it's nothing like a blade. Yeah. Uh, so, say, so is it, is it more like the E9, E Autobot E I 90? That's the one. The, so, okay. So you guys you know feet way better than I do. Yeah. Well, see, and yeah. I'm about to, I'm about my new leg, I think is about yeah. to be the all pro. This is the one, this is the one you're talking about though. This is, no, but this the, is the E I 90 is the same one that you showed before. So right, that's, the, cha that's, the, that's yeah, the challenge. challenge and this is, yeah. Yes, and this is the running blade. Now, this is way taller in terms of build. This is actually taller than my OSA running blade. And so I actually quite like this one. It's pretty compliant. It gives a nice push. Uh, what I don't like about them is those uh, these things are ridiculous. So these things that they put on are so narrow, <laughs> so narrow. Why? Why they did this ability? I, I, they sent me they one of those Peter that narrow? What's that? No, because there's which which uh, Autobach uh, running blade is that? It's the uh, what is it? The uh, E191 or something like that. I think it is. Oh right, so that's right. not the one with the square bottom, right? That's the one with uh, the full pad at the bottom. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah, not like that. Yeah, this yeah. little guy. Because there's ones <laughs> where it's just the, the square tip of the at the toe end. You can get which... the the cleats. You can get the little yes. the, the little okay. for the for the track. You can get. Oh, that I as have well. a funny story for cleats, but that's a different day. Um, so it so could be on, this day. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, maybe in just a second. But so, like on on the point of running blade versus hybrid, um, I've actually done a running study with a, a university in Colorado wearing right. both. Uh, now, keep in mind, I haven't worn anything besides Oser yet until this new leg comes out, which will be, I think, an all pro. Um, but it was an Oser um, Cheetah Explorer for the running blade and an Oser Cheetah um, Extreme, I'm sorry, Oser Cheetah Extreme for the Running Blade, Oser Cheetah Explorer for the Everyday Hybrid Leg. Um, and so the both studies is the one where I met 13.42 miles per hour. That was the top speed we we're hitting that day for the study. Um, and both studies, I hit both blades successfully for the same amount of time. But I will say that the hybrid was much more exhausting to hit that speed. I used far more energy to, to hit that speed on a hybrid. I was able to do it, but I can guarantee you if I were trying to do that out in the wild, uh, it wouldn't last very long compared to the Chi Extreme. So the hybrids are great for every day for all over activities, but I wouldn't suggest them for long distance or you know extra extraneous activities. Now I would do them for like a Spartan race. Uh, I would not do that for a marathon. And see, I've only worn, well, actually, I've worn both Oser and Autobach running blades and the Challenger as well. I wouldn't mind a Challenger for an athletic foot, but I wouldn't wear it for an everyday foot just because of the, 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 the ankle heel extended in the back. I can just see myself going down the stairs and falling just because of the heel would be, yeah, just the well, ankle would catch up on the, on, the, on the stairs. And you're an AK, but I think that might be different for a BK. I think it'd be easier to adjust that as an everyday for a BK than it would an AK. I mean, look, I do it. I do it. But, um, but I mean, he's got a point, you know, you got to be careful. You got to be careful on the stairs. You really do. Cause that's, it's, that's another like what half a, half a foot oh, okay, extended okay. in the back. 
There specifically. Sorry. Yeah, there specifically. But, if, but if, you're, if I'm running on court, absolutely. Yeah. I would like yeah. I would run on court with it. I'd play basketball with it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So you're on a flex, right? So that, that has no back, like a yeah, challenger. So, so this is the explorer. The explorer is not as jutting out as, yeah, okay. The challenger. But yeah, that makes sense. They're, right. they're trying to make up. They're trying to make up for the short build height, so they're trying to give. Nobody more... wants to run down the stairs like this oh, sideways. Yeah, well, that's I've done that before, but I do that when I wear my running legs. So look, I got used to that, I guess, because I would wear my running legs on the weekend, like this one. This kit's my my running kit, right? So uh, so I'll wear this. I might put this on on Saturday, and I might not take it off, you know, that day. So you would walk around with it because I obviously for me as Depends. a double amputee, I wouldn't be able to last the whole day with. You know, running, with my running blades on, <laughs> it's yeah. an everyday leg. It's just too much yeah. effort. So right. I, I, would, uh, I wouldn't do well, that. And I have to say the same as a BK, wearing the running prosthetic all day is much more painful than wearing it just for an event. I've had to wear it uh, just because it's, you know, about an inch and a half higher on that side of the hip, which is not great for your spine if you can't adjust. I've and, noticed that you, you guys have those, those running legs a lot longer, don't you? Than your anatomical side. I they tried to do that to me. They tried to I wouldn't do that know to anymore, me. but yes, no, yeah. mine's at the yeah. same length now. Yeah, they yeah, tried to do that. It's to just me the impact, one. right? They do it for the impact of when you land. And I don't, yeah, but, I don't know the science yeah. between BKAK, like what the impact is with the knee versus a mechanical sure. knee, right? So I don't understand. Right. I don't have the data to see what that difference is millimeter-wise, right? So that depends right. on your, um, so I did that same study with with, uh, with Osler, right? Um, the first time I put on my wedding blades. It, we videotape it because it's the way I hit the ground. So they always say, it doesn't matter where your leg is up in the air, but when you hit the ground, is that's when they see the energy transfer. So depending on the distance that you're running or events that you're doing, that's when they change the category on you. So that's what makes your running comfortable for you. So I'm always a category higher than what I actually am weight wise because I use my running blades for long distances, right? So I would I would put more energy on my running blades and they'll provide me more energy because I'm a heavier set guy. So because of that, my running blades are a category higher. Now, if I was just jogging, they'd probably set my blades in a category that I actually belong to because then I wouldn't have to put that much energy. And so... The, the energy coming down would not be as bad, I guess, if you want to say that. And then as a unilateral, prior to me becoming double empty, they really had to measure how much that weight was coming down or that blade was coming in before, um, right. before it juts me out. Um, and so my blades were a lot longer uh, when I was uh, a single amputee than I was a double. I needed the clearance in order for that, for, to give me the right energy return. I gotta, I gotta say, how how many of you have clipped your while Aristotle while you had another sound leg, right? How many mm -hmm. of you have clipped your sound ankle with your prosthetic? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we all have that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that moment I've, when you hit bone yeah. and you're like, oh, carbon fiber hurts. But then <laughs> that moment you walk by a truck that has like a trailer bed hitch that would have hit your shin, but you hit it with your prosthetic and you're like, oh, that's a win. That's a win. I don't I'll ever have one. to worry about that anymore. I, I you know, I'm, See, I'm one of those- you're gonna walk I... through all the parking lots and say, uh-uh, you ain't got nothing on these shins. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, I'm one of those guys who would stub my toe 
when I had them walking around the house, right? Now I hit, my chin hit something I'm like, yeah, okay. I had a dog <laughs> run into my prosthetic today and I felt so bad. Uh, my, do- my, uh, my dog has run into my prosthetic. I, I've had dogs pee on my prosthetic. Oh, I've had that one too. Isn't it great? The yeah. owner was, had, each time it happened, they're mortified. Um, and, you know, it's like, I'm like, I don't know. It's, maybe he thinks it's a chair leg. I don't know. No, see, clearly I was think, annoyed. Clearly doesn't think it's a leg. <laughs> I was annoyed because I actually had to change my socks and shoes, which I'd gone for so long not doing. That's well, probably isn't that the fun peed. part? <laughs> maybe that's why I peed on your leg. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. God knows what it was down there. I can't tell you how many times I've walked out the door with different shoes and socks on each foot. Oh, oh, the mystery sock find. Who's found a sock in the toe of a shoe six years later when they take the shoe off? No, because I double, I like double, triple sock my toe, my foot. Oh, if the sock has a hole, it's it's just to keep, because I lost the, uh, I finally wore through the, uh, prosthetic sock that's supposed to last a while right so you don't mess up your shoe so then i'm just like forget it i got so many socks now i'm just gonna put regular socks on it but it wears through them and they get holes so i like triple sock yeah no i i only change it does it does anything like that yeah absolutely that's the same thing for so when i run i i I add another ply sock on uh just for safety because when you're running and you're at that 3k and then you lose suction all of a sudden uh, you're like, oh, great. I'm now like way loose, right? And Caitlin oh, yeah. is showing us her socks. Yeah. Oh, you, oh, you can you turn a dial. Uh, one. Oh, yeah. We, right. So let's go back to Two. the sockets then. Oh, my God. We did it. Caitlin has like three. Oh, I lied. I have four on. Um, so you, you wear an adjustable socket, Jeff, right? Yes. Yes. Because full, full disclosure, full disclosure. Uh, I, I, um, was was part of the team that that um, that that uh, started Lim Innovations out of uh, San Francisco back in uh, 2013. Are you run with yes. Lim? Sorry, say that again. Lim Nations. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, Lim, Lim Innovations. Yeah, Lim Innovations. Exactly. L I M. Life is more. Lim Innovations. Dot com. Um, but uh, look, I, I look. I, yeah, right. So I think, look, the, the key here is uh, we think that the future of sockets has got to be adjustable. It's obvi- obviously, um, osteo integration is, is coming along, and that's probably going to be uh, an option for more and more people. I mean, it really depends on what you're looking for. Um, it's not something that provides me enough benefit to consider because I'm need a tick and I already end there. So I, it's not something I'd, I'd consider. But for short transfemoral amputees and other people who are struggling, um, then maybe also integration will be a good option for them. Uh, of course, the problem is a lot of our patient population is dysvascular diabetic. Probably not a good idea to have a stoma at the end of your leg, um, at the end of your stump. So, I mean, that's, look, everything, these things are going to change. There's going to be more information. Things will change. But that said, uh, uh, acknowledging that prosthetic sockets will be around for a good while, while yet, we would like to see more and more patients wearing adjustable prosthetic sockets. The basic goal is a device that the prosthetist can adjust so that they get a better fit, uh, and a device, that, a device that the prosthetist can continue to adjust so that the fit remains uh, effective through the life cycle of the product, and a device that the patient can adjust so that they can, uh, they can account for daily volume change. And I think uh, there, were, there were numbers from, uh, from Medicare at one point 
they had surveyed patients and found that as many as 80%, that's eight zero, 80% of amputees rejected their prosthetics. Um, these are pretty dramatic numbers. Uh, and so even if it's only a, a fraction of that, it's still too many. And I think uh, the, the attitude in the industry for many years has been no news is good news. So they don't hear from us, they figure everything must be fine. <laughs> and of course, if the patient has decided to just lean it against the wall, that's probably not the case, right? Right, and I think that hap- that does happen a lot where people just lean it against the wall, right? It's a like, lot. I, a lot. Um, I, I hear that from amputees all the time. It's like, well, it, it's painful all the time or it's, you know, it doesn't fit or there's, to, you know, to, to what we were talking about before about volume changes. There are days when, you know, you must have had, let's, let's be honest, when I have sushi nights or a ramen for dinner, yeah, putting that leg on the next day is going to be, you know, a struggle because, (laughs) right, it's going to be a little bit harder because you're a little bit, you know, bigger than you were the day day before or when, you know, when you got that socket fitted. So again, there's, I think there's a lot of work that needs to happen when it comes to sock fitting. So, you know. I I was going to say there is one other important thing, Aristotle, which is that for Mm -hmm. me, one of the biggest issues I had was rotational control. Uh, when I was attempting to perform long distance runs. So, mm-hmm. um, so uh, that's why I think I had such an interest in working with new technology and my, and I sort of would nag my prosthetist, you know, it's like I tried to do an event and I was somewhat successful, but nothing like what I really wanted to achieve. And that was, uh, mm-hmm. the, we were doing the long with the world's longest relay run it was from San Francisco to San Diego. And uh, this was a CAF event. And, uh, and I only managed to put in a couple of my legs, no pun intended, uh, and just ended up with skin breakdown really bad. And, and it had to do with the fact that I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't wear my conventional socket and I couldn't maintain rotational control. And that was really why we got really interested in it. I got interested in adjustable sockets, mm-hmm. something that I could, that I could tighten up uh, or loosen at will uh, so that I could help maintain that rotational control. It's so important for AK amputees who are, who are active in doing sports. Um, right. So anyway. Uh, that's good. What would you guys recommend for people who, you know, have tried running or sort of, you know, say, you know, I thought I'd do this more competitively and maybe going the Paralympic pipeline. Uh, what if that doesn't happen? What, what would you recommend or what would your tips be? Um, so I definitely think people need to also explore many other options. If something doesn't work out for them, say sprinting is not their thing. Say long distance is not their thing. Maybe they should try a different sport in general. Um, there's a, a lot of sports out there that need advocates and need more people. And they certainly will not grow until we have more people. For instance, ice skating. There's like three people that are amputees in the world that ice skate. And until there are more people, then you won't have any more resources show up to help support them. You won't have any new prosthetics made and devices. And you really have to explore and just just to not get down if you don't make the pipeline because there are pros and cons to being in the Paralympic pipeline at any pipeline in general so just just keep that in mind that the more you learn about them the more you may not think it's exactly where you want to be and that's perfectly okay Uh, it's not meant for everybody and it's not designed to be for everybody and that's the exact that word designed is something you should think about and consider when you're going into something like that. It's not designed for everybody. Even people, when they're focusing on somebody with disabilities, it does not mean they're designed for every type of person with disabilities, which is why the IPC has different categories that are available and not available, right? Honestly, the best thing you could do is just 
try everything and explore and experiment. And if it doesn't work out, then explore something else. Just because everyone else in the adaptive community is trying to explore sports doesn't mean you have to explore sports. I know plenty of people that don't like sports and that's perfectly okay. Go be adaptive and make poetry, go do art. You don't have to do anything to be adaptive. You can just be yourself. Um, and that's, that's honestly the biggest message I could put out there is go find who you are and be good at doing whatever you're good at doing. So, you know, similar message, I guess. Um, I mean, you know, we start with running, right? So if you want to run, great, run. If you enjoy it, keep doing it. If you don't enjoy it, don't do it. Or, you know, run a mile a day, run a mile every couple of days. You know, maybe you'll enjoy it again later. Maybe you'll come back to it. And I know people have done that. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is being active and, and being uh, and sort of um, and living an authentic life. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Whether you have one leg or two legs or no legs, you know, just be authentic. Uh, do something that, that seems relevant to you and that gives you pleasure and gives you joy. And, and perhaps if you're really lucky, will inspire other people. I think that's one of the, the things that we like to do, right? And one of the reasons I like to run is because uh, I know it gives people a kick. Like one of, one of my favorite things is to be running in an event and be in a pack of runners and sort of sneak in to a group of runners and just be jogging along with them and then chat with a couple of people and then say, catch you later and kick, <laughs> right? And then just hear the fuss behind as they realize that, that they were running with someone with one leg. That's fun. I mean, <laughs> just it's fun, right? What, what are I going to tell you about that? So and don't um, be upset if they don't notice, because I know people <laughs> that I will be wearing shorts in front of them and they don't see it. Um, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, I guess the other point is multi-sport. You know, if, if, if it's a drag, try multi-sport. I mean, that's kind of fun because you can often you can get into events with groups like CAF. They'll 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 let you do a fundraising page and you can do the swim at Alcatraz or San Francisco Triathlon or, or the New York Triathlon, or you can do the run or you can do the bike or you can try and do them all. And that's fun. And multi-sport triathlon, multi-sport doesn't have to be triathlon. It can be biathlon, it can be biking and running, or it can be swimming and biking. So um, I guess that's, that's kind of the thing. So just try other things. Um, and to your point, paddling, uh, they really need people paddling great sport great exercise i did a little bit of that and then the other one uh bobsled bobsled, bobsled yeah. team i think i might still be on their webpage somewhere i i snuck in there as an as an adaptive athlete or something like that or, or a developmental athlete at some point at the u.s bobsled team i went to one session uh, i went up there during the summer and, and got on the uh the dry the dry track but uh that's yeah, a good point actually the 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 ipc um has on their website different developmental camps you can attend um, for yeah. very various different sports. So if you want to try something at that level, um, you can go and get trained by some of the best of the best. Um, and if I can do it with, with no real <laughs> athletic experience, um, you can do it. So uh, it's just showing up. And honestly, these things won't continue to exist if people don't go use these resources. No, yep. I, I, I agree absolutely about the multi-sport. Like I, I, to your point, Caitlin, earlier, I tried, I tried many sports and I still try many sports, you know, to find out what, what I really like and what I really want to do. And, and what it, when I did attend one of those um, IPC ID, Olympic ID sport or ID athlete days, I found the sport that I wanted to do and actually, you know, was right for it too. And it, you know, they recommended coaching and everything. So, um, you know, so I, 
Absolutely. Go out, go out for those sports. So one last little thing, guys. Where can people find you? You go first, Caitlin. BeMoreAdaptive.com. Oh, yeah. You can, you can find me at BeMoreAdaptive.org. Dog, sorry. You can find, yeah, it is, it is a technical org. <laughs> uh, we, we have been doing some things incognito just because COVID's been a pain, but um, we are working on getting some more resources out to the community. But you can also find me at Caitlin and her leg named Rex because my leg is named Rex, um, as well as Facebook. So anything, Caitlin Connor, anything, be more adaptive. You can find me that way. So uh, you can find me on Facebook, Jeff Turner, Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, just to confuse everyone. <laughs> and then uh, Turner, T-U-R-N-E-R. So, you know, look me up on Facebook. You can also find uh, MPG Runners, which is a group that I started there recently. It's a tight little group of uh, some pretty cool people. And so if you're interested in running, I thought it would be nice to have a group on Facebook just specifically for amputees who want to run. So uh, feel free to, uh, to ping us there. And, uh, and I'm happy to add you if you're an amputee who's interested in running. Awesome. Perfect, guys. Thank you so much for doing the show. I want to thank uh, my fellow Blade Runners, Caitlin Connor and Jeff Turner, for joining me today. I'll share all the links on my website at www.airsaldomingo.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The FTO Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been The FTO Show Podcast. <laughs>